Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. A while ago, I was watching a certain TV preacher, and he was talking about sipping saints and these Christians who think they can drink in moderation. And he basically was making a point that if you drink at all a, a bottle of beer or a glass of wine, you're not saved. Is that true? Uh, there are some very conservative churches that in their constitution they say if you drink at all you can't be a member of our church that would mean jesus and the apostles couldn't be a member of your church that's extreme <laughs> on the other hand there's the other extreme that is everywhere in our culture which says booze is great you can't have fun without booze, so just go for it. Booze, God made booze, you know, and so just you can. That also is an extreme. I have a friend who likes to say, I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. Well, we're going to see what does the Bible teach about alcohol today? Would you turn to John chapter 2, the wedding at Canaan? This is the first miracle that Jesus performs, the wedding at Cana, and we're going to look at John chapter 2, and we're going to learn about alcohol today. Let's pray first. Father, we do pray if there are people that are watching who are too legalistic about this, that you help them just see what your truth is, and those who are too libertine about it, that you will bring also them into line. Lord, teach us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 2, this is the first miracle that Jesus performed the wedding at Cana. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus, Mary, was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. First lesson today, Jesus believed in weddings. You read his parables, there's a number of parables about wedding feasts and the bridegrooms and the, the wedding guests. Jesus believed in weddings. Not too long ago, the norm in America was you fall in love. You get married. You wear white at your wedding and you mean it. And then you have sex and children. Today we've turned everything upside down. Lots of premarital sex in America. Lots of kids living with one parent instead of two parents. Lots of venereal disease and lots of abortion. Jesus did not believe in fornication. He believed in weddings. I have a friend who raised his children in the church. His oldest son gets a job in Manhattan, moves there, gets a girlfriend, and immediately starts living with his girlfriend. And it is breaking the heart of mom and dad. And what I said to my friend, can I tell you what I would put before your son's eyes if he was my son? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, fornicators don't go to heaven. Your soul is in jeopardy now. 
Jesus didn't believe in fornication. I, you know, I, I, I've taught many confirmation classes and I've taught the 13-year-olds no ring, no ring-a-ding-ding, no wedding, no betting. Jesus believed in weddings. I got this letter. Dear Pastor Brock, I am writing this letter to encourage you. Recently, an old acquaintance of mine called me and told me all about her home church, Hope Lutheran, and how they have returned to the dark ages. She shared the story of how you wouldn't baptize her son until she demonstrated a commitment to the church. She also talked about how you don't believe in premarital sex or divorce. I'm sure she expected me to chime in against you and your backward church. I felt like applauding you. I am thankful there are churches and pastors who are still willing to stand firmly on the principles of God's word. Please continue to uphold the Bible and may God bless you. Now, you don't get a letter like this every day, but I want to tell you, Jesus didn't believe in fornication, premarital sex. He believed in weddings. Look at verse 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus, Mary, said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My, not, my hour has not yet come. I remember a seminary professor telling us that he went to a church to do a Bible study. And at the end, he said, Any Bible questions at all? I'll take any Bible questions. And he said, A woman put up her hand and he said, You could tell she has wanted to ask this question for a long time. And she said, Yes, Pastor. I don't like the way Jesus talks to his mother. <laughs> you ever wondered about that? Like this verse, woman. Well, let's say a couple things about that. Woman is not as stern in the Greek as it sounds in English. But the other thing going on here, I think Mary is telling Jesus, proclaim your Messiahship, show them who you really are. And Jesus is saying, I've got to do that in God's timing, Mary, not in your timing. Verse 5. His mother said to the servants of the wedding, do whatever he tells you. Here's the next lesson. Your best advice to others is do whatever Jesus tells you. When someone comes to you for advice, just try to think through, okay, what would Jesus tell them to do? And that's what you say. So here's a couple, a young couple. They come up to me and they were going to my church at this point that I served uh, for many years. And... You know, Pastor Brock, before we started coming to your Lutheran church, we went to a different Lutheran church to get married. And we went to the pastor for premarital counseling, and my fiancé said, you know, we should tell you that my girlfriend and I are living together. What did that Lutheran pastor say? Probably the best thing you could do to make sure you're compatible. Well, I've had couples come to me to, get to marry them that are living in sin, and you know what I say? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, fornicators don't go to heaven. You're committing a serious sin. And you know what else? People who live together before wedding, before their marriage, they have a higher divorce rate than those who abstain. So that pastor was wrong. But when people come to you for advice, don't make up your own stuff. What does Jesus say? What does the Bible say? Look at verse 6. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each one holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the waters with wine, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. 
So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. Here's the next lesson. Obedience to Jesus brings a miracle. Because these servants were willing to do what Jesus told them, they were able to be part of the very first miracle Jesus ever performed. The point is, if you will do what Jesus tells you, you will see wonderful things happen in life. Verse 9. And the master did not know where the wine came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Verse 11 there shows the three reasons Jesus did miracles. All three of them are in that one verse. Number one, the number one reason Jesus did a miracle Miracles are a sign. It's like they point to Jesus. He raised people from the dead. He healed the lepers. He turned water into wine. Each miracle is a sign pointing to Jesus saying, this man is not a normal man. This is the God man. This man has powers only God has. So miracles were a sign pointing you, telling you who Jesus is. Second reason for miracles, it says in verse 11, the miracle manifested Christ's glory. They manifest Christ's glory. A number of times in the New Testament, Jesus does a miracle and it says, and everyone was filled with awe and they glorified God. And that's the kind of people we want to be. Don't glorify yourself. We want to be the kind of people that glorify God. And here's what Oswald Chambers said. If the Holy Ghost is indwelling a man or woman, no matter how sweet, how beautiful, how Christ-like they are, the lasting thought you go away with is, what a wonderful being the Lord Jesus Christ is. I remember doing a funeral, and people got up and spoke at length about the dead person. And after the service, the lady from the church came up and said, Pastor Tom, when you do my funeral, don't talk about me. Talk about Jesus. <laughs> I agree. You know, I, I have a friend who's a great preacher. I said to him, if you outlive me, I want you to do my funeral. You can talk about me for 30 seconds, but preach Christ and salvation. Third reason for a miracle, it says in verse 11, and his disciples believed in him. The third reason Jesus did miracles, they help people believe. You know, maybe you're a believer in Christ right now because of some miracle that he did. I, I see this as a pastor. Here's a married young couple that they don't have time for God in their lives. Then they have a baby. And the baby is such a miracle. And they're in such awe and they want to do right by this kid. And they start coming to church. And a miracle brings them to Christ. So... Jesus did miracles, number one, as a sign to point to him that this isn't just a man, he's the God-man. He did miracles to manifest his glory. And thirdly, he did miracles because they helped people believe. That's the story of the wedding at Cana. For the rest of the sermon, I want us to ask our question, is it okay for Christians to drink alcohol? A few thoughts. Number one. Wine is wine in the New Testament. Some 
conservative Christians say, well, it's not really wine. He turned it into grape juice. Well, that doesn't work. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, do not get drunk with wine. The word wine can't mean grape juice there because you can't get drunk on grape juice. Now, granted, in the first century, wine was less potent than our wine today. It was more diluted, but it was still wine. So my belief is it's not a sin for a Christian to have a glass of wine or a bottle of beer. Next thought. For some, drinking is a sin. For others, it is not. I'm not being a relativist here that you make up your own truth, no, but I'm saying this. If you know that having one drink is going to lead you into drunkenness, it's wrong for you to have the first drink. It's kind of like if you know that being around a certain person is going to lead you to gossip with that person, I'd stay away from that person. If uh, you know that a certain website is going to lead you toward pornography, you stay away from that website. I mean, a lot of you are watching this show on cable TV. I don't have cable TV in my house because regular TV is bad enough. Cable TV, I see in hotels, it's horrible. And because I don't turn the channel quickly enough to protect me from me, I don't have cable TV in my house. Now, does that mean it's wrong for everybody? No, you pray about it, do as you lead, as the Lord leads. But it may be wrong for you to have a drink, whereas it might not be for someone else. Next thought. Drunkenness is always a sin. 1 Corinthians 6 says drunkards do not go to heaven. So if you've got a lifestyle of getting drunk, your soul's in trouble. I mean, I've had to do this as a pastor throughout the years now and then. Somebody's uh, coming to my church regularly, and they're just, they're drunk. And I have to take them aside and say, 1 Corinthians 6 says drunkards don't go to heaven. You've got to get some help. Next thought. Be sensitive and don't cause others to stumble. This is from Romans chapter 14. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So let's say that I'm invited to some banquet to do the opening prayer. That happens now and then. And so I do the opening prayer and then later they're serving wine and beer. And I don't have a wine and I don't have a beer in public. Why? I just said it's okay. So why don't I do that? Because there are probably people there who struggle with alcohol. And the last thing they need is the devil to whisper in their ear, see, the pastor's doing it, must be okay for you. So to avoid that, I just don't drink in public. Next thought. Be extremely careful with alcohol. Listen to what Proverbs 23 says. Who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. In other words, be extremely careful with alcohol. When I was a little boy, our neighbor lady next door was an alcoholic. The man who lived in the house behind us was an alcoholic. He would beat up his wife, and I remember her running to our house to get protection from her husband. And I learned early on, 
This booze stuff can be dangerous. I have a healthy fear of alcohol. I'm glad I do. One last thought about alcohol comes from Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who hides his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. The last thought is this. If you have a problem, admit it and get help. A lot of people can't admit they've got a drinking problem or a drug problem or a porn addiction. Listen, part of being a Christian is admitting that you're a sinner and getting help for your sins. I, I know a person who, his sin was not alcohol, but it was a very serious sin, and he committed it more than once. And I said to him, if you keep doing what you're doing, which is nothing for help, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. And I urged him, you've got to get a plan. You've got to get an accountability partner. You've got to uh, get some little group that you attend once a week, something to keep you from doing this again. So if, if you, you know, maybe everybody knows you've got a drug problem but you or a drinking problem but you. Part of being a Christian, a big part, is admitting your sins and getting help for your sins. Here's a man whose name was Bob. He's gone to be with the Lord. He died a few years ago. He was an alcoholic. Then he came to Christ. And I think for the last 30 years of his life, he was sober. But he told me, you know, Tom, I've had a lot of sobriety now, years of it. But I still know if I don't go to my AA group on Friday night, I'm going to be in trouble. So I think he went to that group till he died. That is smart. <laughs> So if you've got a problem, admit it and get the help you need. I'm going to close with one last thought. This is a memory. When I was a kid, my mom and dad both drank and smoked. They didn't drink much. They smoked a lot. <laughs> and I can remember Grandma Loski, my mom's mom, saying to me when I was little, you know, Tommy, Grandpa and I, we don't drink or smoke. That's all she said. I remember her saying that for some reason. And I don't smoke and I rarely drink. I think her little statement made a big impact on my life. And listen, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, have you ever talked to your kids about alcohol, about drugs, about smoking, about premarital sex? If you don't do it, you better believe the world's gonna do it. I urge you, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, Talk to your children about waiting till you're married to have sex, about being very careful with alcohol and drugs. And if they've got a, kid, a problem already, send them to Teen Challenge, a wonderful Christian group that can help people. But that is the Bible's teaching about alcohol. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with Him. Pastor Brock, you were talking about weddings, and this person was invited to a lesbian niece's wedding and wants to know your opinion of should they go or how about the reception? I think humbly, lovingly, I wouldn't go to either. And I'd either, if I had a good relationship with her, I'd have a heart-to-heart, one-on-one, or in a letter or something, but very humbly, lovingly say, look, 1 Corinthians 6 says homosexuals don't go to heaven. 
You're entering a relationship. You're entering a relationship that's going to hurt your eternity. So for love's sake, I can't come to the wedding or the reception. And if you do it lovingly and humbly, you did a good thing. Now, if they still might get madder than a hornet, but you can't control that. You can only do what you think you should do. I wouldn't go. Okay. Yeah. Where does it say in the Bible that sex is for marriage only? I would direct people to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, fornicators don't go to heaven, and then read all of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul talks about sex being for marriage only. Old Testament teaches the same thing. If you had sex outside of marriage in the Old Testament, that was a big no-no. And it's a no-no in the New Testament too. So uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, I use a lot. Okay, did Jesus claim to be the Messiah at the beginning of his three-year ministry, or did he hide the fact that he was the Messiah? Yeah, people don't know this. The, all the miracles that Jesus did, that was in a three-year period from about age... I didn't know that yep, either. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, most of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are from Jesus at age 30 to age 33, and then he dies on the cross about that time. So... Um, did Jesus hide his Messiahship? Well, if you remember, Jackie, Jesus would do a miracle and he'd say to the healed person, now don't tell anybody. Because the Jews had this misconception that the Messiah is here to kill Pontius Pilate and get rid of the Romans. Jesus knew the true Messiah was going to come and save us from sin, death, and the devil. So because people had a misconception, Jesus hid his Messiahship in a sense until after the resurrection and he accomplished the true messiahship. Then the disciples went out and proclaimed Jesus the Messiah. They knew he was the Messiah because Peter confessed him as the Christ, but I don't think even they quite knew what it all meant. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's hard for people to get today too. Christ was Christ and now you're calling him the Messiah, yeah. which is right. <laughs> right, and you, here, let's, let's do that. The word Christ is the Greek word for the Jewish Hebrew word, Messiah, it's the same thing. Okay. It means the anointed one. All right. Yeah. Is it okay for a person to ask for a miracle? Well, Jesus said an evil and adulterous generation asked for a sign because the Jews wanted signs to, for Jesus to prove himself as if he hadn't given them a ton of signs. So I think, I, I don't think it's a good thing to seek after miracles and signs all the time. We have the Bible, that's all we need. If God gives you a miracle, hallelujah, but just trust the scriptures, read the scriptures regularly. Okay, you talked about beer and wine, but you didn't say anything about stronger mm -hmm. liquors than that, which a yeah. lot of people are having yeah, problems. Yeah, vodka, you know, uh, Bourbon, whiskey, etc. You know, Jackie, you got to be careful with, with beer and wine. You got to be real careful with these other liquors. And I don't know much about liquor, but I think they're a lot stronger. So I just think I'm not I'm not here to say it's necessarily a sin, but I'd be really careful if stuff is stronger than beer and wine. Yeah. Okay. Can you recommend some good groups that can help people with alcoholism? Yes. Because there's a lot of those yep. clinics and things like yep. that, but some of them aren't. Right. Well, like, for instance, Alcoholics Anonymous is not specifically Christian. I think the man who founded it, Bill W., was, but they altered it to make it accessible to everybody, whether he had a religion or not, which I think is debatable whether he should have done that. But um, I think Christians still can go to an AA group. They know who their higher power is. An even better group is Alcoholics Victorious. 
That's a specifically Christian group. A wonderful, yeah, it is. Oh, are they right here in the city? Uh, I think there is one or two chapters. Then there's a really good group uh, for people of all kinds of addictions, be it drugs or alcohol, Teen Challenge. And, and I think they're all over the country now. They started here in Minneapolis. There's a big, and Teen Challenge isn't just for teens. Old adults are in Teen Challenge. Mm -hmm. So if you've got an opioid addiction or drug addiction or alcohol addiction, uh, look in your area of the country if there's something called Teen Challenge or Alcoholics Victorious or AA if that's all that's available. You know, Hope Lutheran Church, my home church, had the Teen Challenge choir at one of our services. Yeah. And They're when I came in, one of the people that was at the door for the sanctuary said, one of the people from Teen Challenge wanted to know if you were still a member here. <laughs> and so they I see our show. No, no, oh. he, he, but he went to school with my son oh. and ended up being in their program. Yep. And so he came and talked to us and we knew him because our son and he were in scouts yep. together yeah. and their well, father, I, yeah. I will tell you, yeah, Teen Challenge is a wonderful ministry. And uh, Jackie too, um, we've got about a minute and a half here, and so I think we're done with our questions. But, you know, just we, we want to just reiterate that if you've got a drinking problem, a drug problem, a pornography problem, you're having sex outside of marriage, get some help. There are good Christian groups out there uh, for whatever ails you. <laughs> and, and just don't put it off. Get some help. And, and just one other thing to tell people, we've been doing this TV show now for 30 years. And about eight years ago, we went national. And people have been sending in money, and now we're on all over the country. So I just want to thank you out there, because people send in their prayer requests. They send in their, their uh, financial aid and gifts. And people give by, uh, by the address. A lot of times, they'll just send a check. Sometimes they give directly at our website. Our website is pastorstudy.org. Two S's. If you need, if you know someone that needs to see this show, you can go to our website. All of our uh, sermons are there for free. All of our shows are there for them to watch. But maybe you've got a loved one that needs to hear about alcoholism, drug abuse, etc. Go to pastorstudy.org and have them look for the show called "Is It Okay for Christians to Drink?" And there you go. So thanks for all your support out there, and we'll see you can next I week. Can I say one more thing? Sure. It is such a blessing to the number of people that do come up yep. and talk to us. Yep. I, I can't believe it. Yeah, yet it's wonderful. To this day. So thanks, everybody. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the pastor's study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.